One should never do that when one is opening a radio a radio show, particularly on a Saturday night. On the second day of the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, my God. Let us pray and hope and bow to all the gods there are that uh, 2020 is definitely somewhere in the distant and rapidly receding mirror. Um, We have some surprises tonight. We're going to be talking about some really, really huge things, kind of planetary landscape kind of things, kind of where are we in the grand cosmic cycles of the physics, which are inexorably driving us toward something. But I can't tell you tonight what, and I don't think my guests tonight are going to be able to tell you what. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, let us do this, okay? Uh, what I want to do is I want to introduce our, um, our panelists, and I want to kind of swing directly into the conversation. The only thing I want to point to you in Radio with Pictures tonight in my section is one item. Um, a couple, three weeks ago, we did a few shows, a couple, three shows on this bizarre series of monoliths, highly tetrahedral, three-dimensional monoliths incorporating the geometry, the scaling, the ratios of, you know, tetrahedra inside spheres and placed at key geometric latitudes and oriented off due north at 19.5 degrees. Anyway, a month ago, there was one reported on, I think, the uh, 23rd or so of November. And now, about a month later, there are over 87 and counting all over the world. It is a meme. From the first three, we know there was some kind of plan. Now, of course, because of the multiplicity and complexity of the appearance of these things, whoever is doing them, and there appear to be some very enthusiastic, um, shall we say, co-creators out there. Um, We used to call them copycats. This is at a more sophisticated level. There's something at a higher level going on, and it's moving us in a certain direction. And if you ignore 99% of the noise in the media on all sides, which apparently have not a clue as to what's really driving whatever it is that's driving this train somewhere, and you begin to look at the outliers, the outliers are forming a coherent picture, some of which we're going to be taking up tomorrow night when I do a uh, very interesting discussion with an author of a uh, series of studies in the ancient American tradition, Roman Artifacts. And he's written a book called Romerica. And so when I talk with David Brody tomorrow night, it's going to be a kind of a segue to some of the things we're going to be setting in motion tonight in terms of America, the North American continent, as the future Rome of the 21st century. And we'll be looking more in detail at some of the implications of that again tomorrow night. Tonight, um, I have three of our friends of the other side of midnight, and I thought it would be appropriate to gather them together and to kind of assemble Uh, this panel for this very open-ended and far-out discussion. In the third hour, we're going to open the phones so you can join us, and I'll give out those phone lines 
shortly. We have on our panel tonight uh, Rick, Mar- uh, Rick Merlin Levine, professional astrologer since 1976. Rick Levine has become a respected leader in the global astrological community. He is the past president of the Washington State Astrology Association, co-founder of StarIQ.com, a founding trustee of Kepler College, co-author of eight years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. Rick wrote a daily column for nearly 17 years, delivered by the Internet to millions of readers per day throughout tarot.com. His expanded daily Planet Pulse is still available on Instagram at Rick Levine Astrologer and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Rick Levine Astrologer. He is the subject of a DVD, Quantum Astrology, Science, Spirit, and Our Place in the Cycles of History. And his internet videos have reached tens of thousands of people every single month. Another of our panelists tonight is um, Georgia Lambert. Georgia has over 50 years of experience in the field of esoteric studies, received formal training in the Eastern and Western disciplines, methods, and traditions, and was the first to be licensed by the state of California to teach meditation and esoteric physiology. An experimental course she presented for three years at the College of Osteopathic Medicine um, of the Pacific. She also was heavily involved with Manly Hall for over a decade, and that is, of course, one of the reasons we call her our resident metaphysician. The third member of our panel tonight is Dr. Richard B. Spence, professor of history at the University of Idaho. His interests include Russian and military history along with espionage, occultism, and anti-Semitism. His major published works include Boris Savinkov, Renegade on the Left, Trust No One, The Secret World of Sidney Riley, Secret Agent 666, Aleister Crowley, British Intelligence and the Occult, and Wall Street and the Russian Revolution, 1905 to 1925. And you can read the rest of their bios there. You know, um, I was threatening earlier that I was going to introduce everyone tonight with the kind of um, uh, joke that goes something like this. Um, an historian, a metaphysician, and an astrologer walk into a bar. What happens? <laughs> well, guys, tonight happens. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. Good evening, everybody. Hi, Georgia. And this is Rick. Happy to be here as always. Mr. Levine, a.k.a. Merlin. Right. And this is Richard. I guess I'll go by that. The other Richard. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, Richard Spence, Dr. Spence. Yes, we will call you Richard tonight, and I will just be your unnamed host. <laughs> um, okay, guys, uh, we're all watching what's going on. We all are so grateful that it's now 2021. Um, Rick, let's start with you. There have been some major astrological events in the last couple, three weeks, and there are some that are coming up. How in the model that these, this reality, this bumpy flight, this uh, bizarreness that seems to have no end, both in the political realm, in the psychological realm, in the general consciousness realm, in the who do people trust realm, seems to have no end in sight. Rick, what kind of astrological things are setting this, this table 
and setting this landscape in terms of bizarre excursions of frequency. Well, there there are some that are incredibly specific, and we are absolutely right on target. I have two things to say to begin with. One is that um, astrologically, 2020 won't really end until the end of January, and I'll explain more about that in a moment. And then the second thing is, is I thought Kinthea wanted to say Happy New Year. Aw, Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, by all means. Is that a yes? <laughs> Hello, oh, uh, Richard. Uh, sorry, Kinthea. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the things <laughs> before we really got into our morning program, would you want to add a fourth member to the panel, who is my esteemed uh, executive producer of The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News. And Kinthea, I guess you have a few words for the audience apropos of the time of the season we're in once again. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. And thank you, Merlin, <laughs> for the little nudge. I really appreciate it. So I want to wish all our friends here a good, a good evening and a happy new year. And I, I just want to say a couple words and then I will turn the show back to Richard. I love him so much. <laughs> there is a core thread that joins all beings on a necklace of creation. And that thread is energy. And for us, it's our humanity. That energy is the embodiment of our compassion and supports our desire to see our world thrive. So as a producer of both The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News, I receive messages and emails. Some of them are from confused listeners about the programming on The Other Side of the News. So I'm here to tell you it's not about Democrats or Republican rats. And to you, I say, one cannot ask the wrong question and then recognize the right answer. So as we enter this new year, I want to share with you what is true of this collaboration of creativity and intent. For nearly 40 years, Richard and I have partnered on projects, research, books, videos, and now these shows. We cannot escape that we value and respect each other. And as such, we do not censor each other. This surprises some of the listeners because our views of the global crisis appear to be in stark contrast. But our intent is one, 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 that our loved ones and our world thrive. So here's what I can tell you as the producer of these two shows. I'm committed to standing for your right to choose. As some of you may have noticed, the other side of midnight and the other side of the news frequently differ in their perceptions of world events. <laughs> you think? If you have a membership, <laughs> it is for the other side of midnight. And the other side of news is an additional show that augments the other side of midnight, which has its own voice. In these challenging times, there are multiple polar divides. We believe... True discernment comes from the reporting of both sides of any issue. Richard and I are of an understanding that you are sovereign beings, and as such, you all have the right to access all viewpoints for your own research, and thus, it's for you to choose the information which you believe will best enhance your life. 
Richard and I are passionate and we're loyal. And on some things we agree and on some things we don't. We don't use that to beat each other up nor reject each other. So when you find a cord of love that binds, the stories make no difference. I say this because, dear friends, together collectively, we're entering a new world as well as a new year. And I'm asking our listeners to pay attention to their own internal truth, to what it's telling them. You are a free will being, and it is for you to select what you want to immerse yourself in. We encourage you to choose the stories that unite the people and let the stories of division drop away from lack of substance or support. So happy new year, my dear friends. May these times of change open us all to the unfolding wonder. And thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. And back to you. You know, so much interesting synchronicity because I was thinking of saying something at the top of the show, very similar tonight, you know, Rob, Robin, Robin's obviously thinking of us. Kinti and I've known each other uh, decades, literally decades. And I've watched through her eyes, a perspective on a whole other set of realities that frankly, I find very difficult to follow. Now, admittedly, I'm a left brain kind of guy and Kinti is a right brain kind of gal. And hopefully as we move through this process, this physics, this extraordinary turbulence, which is turning up all kinds of interesting stuff, uh, there will be a synthesis. There will be a coming together. At the moment, going back to my discussion with Rick Levine, the frequencies, Rick, appear to be really, really polarized Mm -hmm. and becoming more so. And so the events that are going to be happening in the not-too-distant future, and I totally agree from my perspective, that 2020 is not ended yet. The, the, these energies don't cut off because of arbitrary dates. We're looking at overlaps. We're looking at mixing of frequencies, what we used to call heterodyning. And it's hopefully out of that analysis that we can make some predictions of what could be about to happen next. Yes, and and um, exactly. And I just also want to say to... to um, uh, Kinthea, thank you for that. And that's part of what's going to be so important, not just in 2021, but in the years ahead, because we have our work cut out ahead of us, um, regardless of what label we carry, not only politically, but with respect to just about every issue that's out there. Um, we have seen this kind of divisive extreme, um, whether it's um, about politics in the United States, whether it's about globalism, whether it's about vaccinations, whether it's about um, origin of viruses, whether it's about um, our place in the universe with other beings, intelligences that are non-terrestrial, whatever the issue is, they're, they're, the, the extremes are so, so great. And from an astral 2020 was an absolute eye of a needle. It was the eye of a storm. We might be through the eye of the storm. And astrologically, I am here to say that we are through the eye of the storm. However, anyone who knows anything about meteorology knows that while you're in the eye of the storm, it's perfectly safe. 
<laughs> and now coming through the eye of the storm to the other side, we have some pretty intense winds and waters and weather um, physically and metaphysically to deal with. Um, but 2020 was a year that astrologers have been talking about um, in their professional discussions for a good 20 years or more. 2020 is um, a once in a many lifetime year on many, many different levels. And I'm not going to compare it um, qualitatively, let's say, to um, um, the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor and the entrance of the United States into um, into uh, World War II from our perspective. I'm not going to compare it to um, other global pandemics um, particularly, but this, is a, this was um, a year when a 30-year cycle, 35-year cycle or so of Saturn and Pluto was exact, and yet it had ramifications that made it be actually a one in 500 year. From an astrological point of view, I don't want to descend into astrological tech, 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 uh, um, astrological tech, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, technicalities. Um, but that was how the year opened um, one year ago, actually on January 12th. And then we had um, three alignments of, of Jupiter, which is a 12-year cycle with Pluto, um, and that in itself was another layer, and that happened throughout the year three times from Earth's point of view in April, June, and in October, um, actually November. Um, and on top of that, we then ended the year with this once every 20-year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn, but even that became, um, yes, it's a once every 20 year cycle, but only once every, she's more like uh, 1200 years is the conjunction so close that it actually looks visibly like a, a single point in the sky to the naked eye. And only once every 200 years does it change um, element astrologically. When you put all this together, you basically realize that 2020 um, as we lived through it, for those of us who actually did live through it, um, it, 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 it was, it was a, a, the eye of the storm. Now, coming out of the eye of the storm, January may be as rocky a road um, or as rough seas as we've had because a lot of the clashes coming to a head will continue to. And then all through 2021 and 2022, we're still, still dealing with um, – these two ways of looking at reality that I'm going to call the old and the new. And I know it's much more complex and much more nuanced than that. Um, but we have a changing of, of the guard on many different levels. And, um, and, and what we're seeing here on top of that is a level of technological change that has pushed us through another eye of a needle. And that is we live in a world now. Now, let me back up. We, we grew up in a world, um, we of our generation, yours and mine, Richard and, um, and Georgia and Kinthea, and I'm sure some other people here probably, um, Dr. Richard also, um, in a world where there were two types of literature, where there was fiction and nonfiction. There was a, a unilateral look at what history was with points along the history timeline. Um, we had a view of things that had an absolute and discrete um, wall, and I'm using that word very specifically, between here and there, between truth and lies. 
between fiction and nonfiction, between reality and things that did not exist. And that wall has disintegrated. It has dissolved. Astrologically, that world is, that, that world is described, the dividing line, by the planet Saturn, which the ancients knew as the gatekeeper between here and there. Saturn and Satan is etymologically the same. Lucifer was light energy that fell through the gates of Saturn and materialized here in the three-dimensional world. To the ancients, the three-dimensional world, the world of the infra-Saturnian vibrations, was all that was true. Everything else was divine outside of the realm of humanity. Well, we've stepped through that, uh, that uh, metaphysical looking glass, if you will, and uh, that glass darkly. And we now live in a world where we've lost, um, we've lost the grounding of a single um, unilateral mono reality. Um, uh, before the show, Richard, you used the word bifurcation, and I immediately wanted to come in. No, the word is trifurcation or multiplication. Uh, for, I don't know what the word is, but but reality has, has has like it's like a cancer that has metastasized. And there are as many realities now as there are points of view and perspectives. And that is frightening because something as simplistic as an election that um, that has had very specific uh, in one reality results in another reality is just a total illusion and the results are totally different. Now I'm not commenting on, uh, on that because time will play that out. Um, but, yes. But, 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 and, and I'm honoring what Kinthea said um, about the polarization. Um, and yes, I have my perspectives and my points of view, but it doesn't matter what your perspective and your point of view is because, and listen to this carefully, your perspective your point of view is not the only point of view. Get over it. Now, that doesn't mean that you are wrong and everyone else is right. It doesn't mean that you are right and everyone else is wrong, because here's the problem with unilateral points of view, and that is that we have a lot of very intelligent people. In, and again, I'm not here talking presidential politics. I'm talking almost any issue you can come up with. You have experts that will come down with extreme views on one side versus the other. And if we're going to make it through this, we have to find common ground. Kinthea said it so uh, much better than I uh, would have uh, or even could have. And that is we all want the same thing. <laughs> we all want to survive. We all want to be happy. We all want to get through life with, 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 with something that has personal meaning, and we want to do it in a way that, you know, that, that will allow us to do it. And the problem is that reality, or let me say our perception of reality, infringes on us in many ways. It says, you need to wear a mask. And someone says, well, no, that's the government telling me I need to do this and I'm a sovereign being and I don't need to do that. Well, that same government says you need to stop at a red light and there you're willing to. And I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. I'm saying we need to examine, you know, where those boundaries are at what we're willing to agree to for the common good and what we're willing or what we're unwilling to. And and it's it's very tricky territory because whatever anyone thinks it's not the whole truth. And in fact, I've been saying for over a year that I don't care what you know to be true. It isn't. 
And I would say the same thing with what I know to be true. It isn't. And if you meet someone who knows what's going on, if you meet someone who really, really, really knows what's going on, uh, they don't. And that's the frightening <laughs> thing is that even the people that were running the show, even the people behind the people, the, the puppeteers, the, 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 if you want to call them the, the money masters, the Illuminati, the, I don't care what you want to want to call whoever the power structure is behind the apparent power structure. They used to know what was going on because they were pulling all the strings and they've lost control too. And that is exciting and frightening. Hmm. Rick, question. We found out, at least the public, you and I, of course, knew this a long time ago, but the public kind of found out as relatively recently as the as the presidency of Ronald Reagan in the uh, 1980s um, because of Nancy Reagan, that certain affairs of state were carefully planned by Nancy to correspond to astrological high points. Yeah, like the meeting at Reykjavik was choreographed. The timing of that and even the phone call that initiated that was choreographed by a San Francisco astrologer named Joan Quigley, who was a full-time employee of Nancy Reagan's for seven of the eight years that Reagan was in office. See, this is one of those areas where there is an in-crowd and an out-crowd. The in-crowd, given, excuse me, that they all do it, knew that this was merely Nancy Reagan using this physics for the best possible positioning of Ronnie and the country and the political agendas that he had and that they had and, you know, moves on like that. Yeah. The outside world, the press, the general public appeared to be shocked and askance at that this would be actually part of a secret uh, you know, statecraft. Well, yep. we've, you now fast forward the film. We're in 2021. We have the current president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, on Christmas Eve, planning to sign with great flourish and pomp and circumstance at Mar a Lago this desperately needed COVID 19 fiscal rescuing of the country bill, right? And Mm -hmm. and then suddenly, for no reason at all, he doesn't sign, and he doesn't sign, and he doesn't sign. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, this appears to be a ritual. And then a couple, three days later, I discovered that because they commingle the two bills, the COVID-19 rescue package and the normal budget process, for a total of about $2.3 trillion, the normal functionings of government were also covered in the bill. They didn't separate them out. It was one lump package. And right. as, as you know, he had some serious issues with the um, uh, National Defense Authorization Act and refused to sign that and actually vetoed it. And it had to be overcome by Congress to pursue the original act. In the other act, the delay made zero sense. Like every commentator said, wait a minute, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, a zero-sum game. He waits, he loses the high ground, he loses the edge, he loses the, you know, particular positioning of, you know, the president as savior. 
and he gets what in return? Nobody could see what he got in return. When you return at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to tell you what I think President Trump got by waiting those few days to sign this critical act. And it's frankly going to surprise a lot of people. So let's hold it there. I kind of wanted to go out at the bottom of the hour uh, on this um, escapade. I wanted to uh, present something that we've been planning, which is kind of apropos of where we are in, um, in, in this particular uh, part of the year. This is, uh, th- this is uh, New Year's. This is, you know, that great time of transition. Well, I found through a little bit of digging a digitized version of the original song, Auld Lang Syne, by Guy Lombardi and the Royal Canadians from 1947. Anybody want to take a listen? Here we are. done that is because they know and have openly admitted that it's unenforceable so if they kept everyone locked down over christmas they know that everyone's going to ignore it because you're going to go and see your family at christmas of course you are and they know that you've got 65 million people in the uk you can't you can't please 65 million people 
going to each other's houses for Christmas. You can't do it. There's not enough police officers. So what they've done to try and keep some kind of, you know, appearance of power is give us those days. So it's like, I know you're going around each other's houses, but we let you do it because that's better than keeping us locked down, us all doing it anyway, and them openly showing their weakness, which which they have. They can't enforce it. And, and the police chief, chief constables, has said as much that it's unenforceable. And so that's what I think people need to realize is that all these music venues could open, all these theaters could open, all these restaurants could open, all these bars could open, as long as they all opened, because then it's unenforceable. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Annetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. Cross my aching arms Body language clear Breeze my breaking heart Make my stand right here For action over hope Make my stand right here For action over hope Welcome back to the other side of midnight on this Saturday night, the 2nd of January, 2021. Uh, Rick, before you went to the break, you were, you were touching on something really important. Because the deeper problem that I see in this culture is we're going through this extraordinary set of transitions, is that people who have known each other for decades, who have respected each other's process, approach, et cetera, et cetera, are almost in some cases like strangers. It's like yes. you've, you've known these people, you know these for, people decades, for decades and we've got an we've echo got somewhere an in the background we need to kill. And, and it's like you're talking to someone that you almost don't know. And I've compared this on many previous occasions, both on the air and off the air, to something of literally biblical proportions when, according to sacred texts coming down through the Western tradition, before a major catastrophe, God literally confounded their language so they could not understand each other and could not complete the tower to heaven. This is, of course, the... uh, 
Babylonian biblical tower story. The idea of confusing language. I'm beginning to think, Rick, that we're looking at something so much deeper than the superficial definitions of language. It's like we have people now that are self-segregating and they literally are looking at the world in a totally different way. Yeah, the I think what we're looking at here is um, I don't know how familiar you or your listeners are with the uh, work of Marshall McLuhan, um, who wrote uh, a book. Many people know the medium is the message, which is really the medium is the massage. How <laughs> what is being said on the media is secondarily important to the media itself. Um, he was basically um, a, a historian and a student of, 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 of media and its impact. And McLuhan said um, new media is an extension of a biological function. And that with, like, for example, um, uh, the printing press um, emphasized the I because we see seeing is believing we read. Um, and that with the advent of electronic and digital technology, that our nervous system has been externalized and that, in fact, we have now an exo-nervous system, the World Wide Web, if you will. The problem is that, um, that the difference between, uh, be, be, between being uh, neurotic and schizophrenic is very simple. And that is a neurosis can be managed through dialogue because we, you tell the truth, you go back, you recreate the story. But schizophrenia cannot be cured uh, by dialogue alone because there is an absolute break and, and, and the two different personalities or more have totally different perceptions of reality. And the more they communicate, the wider those differences become. Here's the problem. We've flipped out, and that's a McLuhan term that he initiated when he talked about the process of our nervous system flipping out, and we, like, like, a, a, like a turtle with the hard exoskeleton, we've become soft-shelled because our nervous system now is on the outside. We've flipped out, and we're schizophrenic. Well, now that's interesting. By the way, everybody else, you know, Georgia, Rick, uh, please join in. I don't mean to segregate things, but I wanted to kind of – get us off on the foundation of what I've been looking at, which is this interplay in the, in the physics of these frequencies, creating all kinds of short-term and long-term catastrophic kind of mini cycles where you think something is chaotic, but it's really part of a larger plan, a larger pattern that you're not seeing. Well, Richard, the thing is that, um, and, and I really want to come back so that you can finish your 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 punchline on on the uh, timing of what you know just has happened. But the timing is kind of crazy because um, on the night of the solstice on Christmas Eve, 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 on the night of December twenty first, <laughs> right? Um, we had this exact Jupiter Saturn conjunction, which is in fact a cultural seed point for for twenty years. As I said earlier, this one is even more important. By the way, if anyone is interested in the astrology, um, the, the technical side of the astrology stuff, um, best to go to my Instagram page and there's links there to more of the technical stuff that I really don't want to get encumbered with tonight because I know so many people here, you know, are, it's not their language. So I don't want to descend into that language. The fact is, though, that astrologically, January um, 4th through the 8th, 
is a major, major, major storm period. And obviously in the United States, you know, politically. Oh my God, it covers exactly the window. No, no, I understand that. And, and, And I could say just, you know, very briefly, again, without descending into technicality, you know, Mercury lines up with Pluto, the Lord of the underworld. So things are spoken. This is January 4th. Mars Uh, the god of war and passion, uh, which has been in his own home sign since last June, which has really brought all of the anger and the redness and the the feistiness and the fire. All of that's been so on the surface, Mars closer to Earth than it is every other year. It goes retrograde when it gets close to Earth. Mars has been in, Mars normally is in the sign for about seven weeks. Um, Mars has been in the sign of Aries for six months. And Mars moves out of Aries on January 6th into Taurus. And within a day or two, both Mercury and Venus change signs. This is a huge, a Mm. huge shift of energy on the 4th through the 8th. (laughs) Then then, then we we, we have this incredibly potent um, new moon on the 12th. And again, I don't want to dig in deeply here, but it's a very power, it's power struggle stuff. And then... Starting on the 19th, um, um, there's really kind of a beginning of a shift that comes to a fruition and a culmination this month um, that is really not does not play through until the full moon on the 28th. Um, but we have um, uh, definitely almost like like an instant replay of all of the stuff that was all all the issues of 2020 you know it's like that when at the moment of death your entire life flashes you know um, in in one moment um Mm. this is almost like january becomes a microcosm of 2020 which is why 2020 isn't really over until we get past that full moon on the 28th of january um and, and and so it's a very intense month um it's and yet we we are not going back through the eye of the needle that we've already been threaded through. And that's the important thing, but that doesn't mean that it's all going to be easy flowing and smooth. Can I add uh, something in here? By all means. Uh, just on top of what Rick was just describing to us, there's a natural cycle in the year itself between um, uh, winter solstice, which was December 21st, and Candlemas, or Imbolc, which is February the 2nd. This particular period of time each year was called in ancient uh, times the terror time because the cycle of matter delivers the Christ or the, the light for that cycle on winter solstice. And then it has to sort of re-virginize itself to start the cycle again, February 2nd. So this period of time, this terror time between the winter solstice and February 2nd or Candlemas. Is or a Groundhog that, Day. <laughs> or Groundhog Day, yes, is, is a time when everything is thrown to the wind. Everything is mobile. Everything is uh, just chaotic and in motion. But because it's in motion, it's also a time of opportunity to slip new stuff in because things are in motion and not fixed. Yeah, the pro-creative potential right now is huge, but it also um, it, it, it feels chaotic. And remember, chaos is not random. 
chaos is a natural um, place between the ending of one order and the beginning of another. Biologically, you know, chaos is reached when a system reaches maximum complexity. Mm. And we have certainly seen ourselves thrust into that in this period of darkness, you know, uh, at the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. Um, you know, it's, it's like this is the beginning of the sun's return to the light. But it's not until after Imbolc, until the, the cross-quarter date around 15 degrees of Aquarius, halfway through the fixed sign of Aquarius, it's not until then that it's absolutely for sure that it's getting light faster. You know, it's like that's the materialization of the thought that occurs at the moment of total total darkness or the longest night, the Yule tide, whatever you want, however you want to refer to it. Um, but Astrologically, um, we definitely have um, a large-scale event. I've said this here before on your show, Richard, um, that even the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which historically has been related to uh, pandemics, it was active during Black Death, for example, um, uh, but that which occurred on January 12th was the day that the Wuhan um, uh, labs announced the first uh, mortality of this virus and also announced the sequencing, which is kind of an interesting kickoff to this whole year. But what's also important is that this 35, 38 year cycle um, of Saturn and Pluto, which of which the halfway point was in the autumn of 2001. Gee, I wonder if anything important happened then, hmm. September 11. Um, but Oddly enough, Richard, the, the recording that you played from 1947, that was the previous time that Saturn-Pluto joined was in the uh, midsummer of 1947, within a few days of the um, uh, separation of Pakistan and India um, and the um, um, in India's uh, independence oh, from the British Empire. Uh, just within, I mean, within five days of that event. Um, and then the next conjunction was in 1982, um, which was an Isra the Israeli incursion into Lebanon. And it was also, oddly enough, the year that the movie Gandhi came out. And this whole Indian thread is very interesting historically, going back to 1898. Um, too long to go into right now. Point being, though, that Saturn-Pluto um, conjunction that kicked off 2020 in Saturn's home sign of Capricorn, the last time that occurred was in January of 1519, about um, a month, maybe um, more like a little bit less than two months after Martin Luther nailed the theses, the 95 mm. theses on the church wall that basically kicked off the Protestant Reformation, which we call the Protestant Reformation. But we've, in a way, 2020 is the beginning. Um, it was the nailing of this new way of looking at things on the wall of reality that will ultimately change everything. Now, here's the problem is that we're still in the midst of the event, just like if you had been living at the time of Martin Luther being excommunicated and the intensity mm. of the battle between the, the, the church, Rome, um, and, um, and those separating from that authoritative power, you wouldn't have had any idea of what would have taken a couple of hundred years to become 
the power of that reformation. And by the same token, we don't know how this is going to play out and we don't know where this is going to go in 50 years or 100 or 200 years. But it's a year of that importance. And January has that instant replay kind of like going into overtime. Um, and it's going to be quite, quite powerful. Rick, I heard you chortling as our resident historian there in the background. Uh, thoughts? Uh, chortling. Well, I've, I've I've been listening in in uh, in fascination to all of this. Well, you know, as a resident historian, not you know, I'm not coming at it from the from the standpoint of of astrology or anything. I, I, the one thing I guess that that as an historian, I I could throw into that is that certainly history is is nothing but patterns. So I'm I'm just going to look at it from what an historian looks at. It looks at people and events. Who was it, Rick, who said that history doesn't necessarily rhyme, but it sure as hell sometimes or, or, or repeats it. It sure as hell sometimes rhymes. No, it was it was it was attributed falsely to Mark Twain, who allegedly said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Ah. However, it's an incorrect attribution, and it yeah. was not Mark Twain. Although you'll see that in writing everywhere. <clears throat> so we don't know who said this. That is correct. Very interesting thing, that's, because, because yeah, the, that's, the that's idea, yeah. the, the idea of mixing tonight's conversation between grounded mainstream history, metaphysics, which is open-ended. And the astrological mechanisms of, you know, multiple fields interacting with each other, creating reality. I mean, that's kind of like the basis of what I'm looking at what's going on and saying the only way we have of predicting what can happen now is by going back and looking at what happened before. And that's why I chose tonight's banner picture, which is the White House being burned down in 1812 by the British. Well, tonight we're literally on the edge of, <clears throat> if not a literal, a figurative burning down of the transition between duly elected administrations with intense polarization politically on both sides. And I don't know whether the country has ever faced something this fundamental in terms of looking at a basic almost trivial reality who got more votes can i jump in here that's as the cue uh, as, as the uh, the historian in this case it's the the problem with trying to seek answer, seek the future in the past is that you're never going to find it exactly all right and, and that's very often what people want they want to be able to go back and say if we look through past events if we look at these patterns if we, we we can see what's going to happen you you can get an idea of the possibilities of what are going to happen you can you can know that something is coming but i don't think that you can find the future in the past if you think you have you're going to be wrong because it never repeats itself exactly and yeah. I, I think that's one of the things you have to be careful of is that we can always, I mean, I could give you historically, let's put it, here, here's one out of my kind of, you know, bailiwick, is that when the Bolsheviks seized power in Russia in 1917, uh, they were Marxist revolutionaries and they were, you know, going to embark upon a, a grand new 
crusade that was going to change the world. You know, this was the idea that the revolution in Russia wasn't going to be there. It was going to ignite a world revolution. It was going to create a completely new paradigm for all of humanity and the entire planet. It was the single biggest turning point in history. Now, a lot of things came out of that, but none of it exactly what anybody wanted. And the model that they went back and looked, the idea was, look, we're, we're, we've just overthrown the, the imperial Russian, you know, we're actually, we've overthrown the provisional government. There's this whole sea change in Russia. It's going to ignite a sea change in the world. What's the closest approximation we have to our event? What do we need to study in some way? Well, the French Revolution. That was it. And we'll go back and we'll examine the French Revolution. And the French Revolution, if we study it closely, if we, if we go through, if we examine it like tea leaves, then we'll find all the things to do right and all the things to do wrong. Because, see, we can go back and we look at what the Jacobins and Robespierre and the others did, and we can simply, you know, and we can, we can follow their paths where they were right, and we can avoid the missteps when they were wrong. Uh, and how did that work out? Well, it worked out horribly, mm. right? They, they, were, they were following a model which was from a different century in a different country in a different culture. And they really even didn't pay attention to one of the things. If, if they paid attention to the French revolution, they noticed that one of the places that the whole thing began to go off the rails was with the terror. And yet one of the things that the Bolsheviks would introduce, they saw that they were compelled to introduce was political terror, which was going to eventually become the curse, the kind of cancer of, of the whole regime. And you know, the, the problem is that people go back to the past and they, and they pick and choose. They cherry pick those things that they want that will kind of confirm their idea of what the future is supposed to be or what it can be. And it never works out that way. Right? We are, you know, as historians, at least as humans are generally, are lousy at predicting the future. We have some. So right now, I would say as an historian is that, yeah, the country is in a very weird state. Maybe the entire world, maybe the entire universe is in a world state. I don't know. But right here in the United States of America, we are living through a very peculiar and weird time. There is all kinds of dangerous potential which exists. There's the potential for violence, political and social, which so far has not materialized, but which could. I think we're all sitting around waiting. I don't know whether we're waiting for the other shoe to drop or we're waiting for the first shoe to drop in this case. But there's this this tension, you know, which is also brought on by the increasing social isolation of people, um, the, the, the whole, in many ways, the, the kind of fear of other people, which is being inculcated by the virus. I mean, you know, when you go the out economic public, pressures, economic pressures, you know, the fact that there are millions of people who are, you know, counting the days down uh, when they, when they can be evicted, you know, that keeps getting kicked down the road, unemployment, you know, um, the deficit grows large. There's all of these things which have the potential to happen. And I think it's, I think in some ways, as, as a friend of mine put it the other day, they just wish that something would happen. Okay. Something would happen. You know, if there's going to be civil war, well, then at least let there be a civil war. Then we'll know what we have to face. Uh, it's this idea of not knowing what's going to happen, waking up every morning in this kind of state of, of, of constant suspense and anxiety of not knowing what's going to take place. Um, you know, I, I guess one of the things that you, Rick, would agree through the stars or whatever sort of process, are, things will work their way out. They're, they're gonna, that's going to happen. Yes, and Richard, I would also agree with another thing, and that is many astrologers believe they can predict the future 
um, mm -hmm. by looking at the past. And it, again, we can look at the past to see the trajectory, but there's always the, um, the, the potential of the unexpected moment of the present that does not conform to what we would like it to, because just like you said, the planets are never ever in the same position as they were. It's always a new moment physically and metaphysically things are always changing we are pattern seekers you and i historians and astrologers um but it doesn't mean that we can apply those patterns mechanically because the universe is not mechanical there's a mechanical component but it is not ultimately mechanical yeah we can see how those patterns worked out previously and that may give you a kind of general idea as to what the potential is, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I would agree that we're, you're, you're really dead wrong if you think that you can pinpoint what is going to happen. You know, to speak to uh, what Dr. Spencer was uh, just talking about, uh, studies have been done where um, they set up an experiment with rats that uh, have to get an electric shock every time they push a bar for food. And they got used to it. They just learned that, yeah, I'll get food, but there's a little shock that goes with it, and that's just the way it is. The other group uh, was a random electrical shock. Sometimes it happened, and sometimes it didn't. It was the second group that developed uh, neurosis and uh, just went crazy because of the not knowing mm. and the unpredictability. Hmm. Georgia, interestingly enough, it's that second group that led to the discovery of what operant conditioning psychologists call Miller's gradient, which is the rat will run towards the bar for food, and the closer it gets, the more conflicted it will be until it can't go forward because it knows it's going to get pain too, but it can't back up because it's hungry. Exactly. And, and when you look at herds of cows, for instance, the ones on the bottom of the, of the pecking order are the most psychologically stable. It's the ones near the top, near the leader, that never knows what's going to happen. They're the ones that have the problems. Hmm. That kind of sounds similar to something, I'm not sure this thing of, uh, anybody heard the term of, of choice paralysis? Yeah, and that's it's it. one of those things that if you simply give people a choice, you know, the very often what people want, probably cows want this too. I don't know. But what people <laughs> often want is that they want to be, they want to be told what to do. Okay. This is true. That's not true. This is what I should do. And, you know, I've found this because I don't know. I, I've, I've been accused of deliberately confounding people. So like, well, we can go this, you know, we, we can do this or we could do this. You know, like, well, let's go out to dinner, you know, back when you could go out to dinner. And I say, well, let's go here. And then, you know, on the weather, well, maybe we could go here or we could go there. So as I would see it, I was simply presenting the other people with a choice. But I'd also find that people would eventually get frustrated and angry because now there was a choice. We were going to go to this place, but now you've thrown up another place. And I don't know whether I want Thai food or I want Chinese food or I want Mexican food. It was very simple when we were just going to get Thai food. And now you've made it much more complicated. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a kind of, be, I mean, I suppose I've been at the other end of that as well, but it's one of the things that you can find in it. And, and in some ways, it's, it's just a kind of principle of giving people freedom. You know, here you have a freedom to make a choice. You can have this, or you can have that, or you can have the other thing. 
And it's then the paralysis that sets in of not being able, of not knowing which one to choose from. Uh, yeah, you know, really good Richard, but, as, but, as, as an astrologer, uh, people often come to me or to the astrologer because they want the answer. And for years, I've been taking the position that, no, if you've come to me for the answer, you've reached the wrong astrologer. You're looking for the answer astrologer. I'm the question astrologer. I'm the one that will help you understand the nature of all of the operative energies at the moment. And how you respond to it, though, is, you know, is, is your decision, not mine. And a lot of people don't like that. They just want to be told what's going to happen. Hey, but hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour, actually. We're at the top of the hour. I've got to turn my clock upside down. We're kind of doing a reprise of New Year's. New Year's looking way, way back <clears throat> in terms of deep time. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Happy New Year. For listening to this exciting first hour now the second and third hour of the show is available to club 19.5 members only please support the show by subscribing to club 19.5 and join our very interesting community to do that please visit the website the other side of midnight.com and click on the join club 19.5 link in the left hand column as a club 19.5 member you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>